0: Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast, I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. One positive thing that has come out of this whole pandemic situation has been the acceleration of innovation in teaching methods as educators try to quickly adapt to the changing times. My guest today is Dr. Ivana Kolova. Dr. Kolova is a pathologist and professor of pathology in Finland. Today, we're going to talk about how she got into the field, some of the teaching methods that she uses, her interest in cytopathology, and the importance of professional organizations. All right, here's Dr. Ivana Kolova. I wanted to start with uh, your early years in the Czech Republic, because that's where you're originally from. Now, how was it that you became interested in science and then eventually in medicine?
1: Actually, my childhood dream was to become TV answer and later it had changed to interest in journalism and languages. I was definitely influenced by Czech language teacher at primary school. She was a brilliant teacher and also it was club of Czech language competition that influences my life during ages but you know i was successful student also in sciences so i finally after high school applied to study medicine and here i am
0: okay so then what was it that kind of changed your mind and and made you look at at a career in medicine was there a person that influenced you in that direction
1: I think that just I grown up maybe, yeah, I finally realized that it's maybe more interesting, more valuable. And definitely when I see it back, it's definitely it was the right choice for me. I think that it was also important that science and education was highly valued in my family so finally with almost 100 published articles the circle is closed so there is medicine and there is also sort of writing there
0: right yeah i was gonna mention that like you've done a lot of of journal articles so that brings back the the journalism aspect that you were talking about earlier
1: yeah i think as a medical doctor you are more close to people and you can help them. I, I can see some sort of more deepness in this kind of choice, definitely.
0: As you're going through medical school, what was your first exposure to pathology?
1: I studied in my hometown and the pathology course was during the whole third grade. And Professor Steiner's lectures of pathology were best ever lectures I heard too because it was not just lecturing all about diseases. He also showed us lots of pictures and also some sort of museum samples and also some, like, you know, from daily routine, we could see the samples. So it was so interesting. And I was really taught by this subject and our microscopic courses were laid, but by Professor Spacek and his brilliant neuropathologist now retired. And every week we could attend autopsy room within our course and there were clinicians present so we could follow like what was the clinical story and what was found and there was the discussion among uh, doctors, professors. So I was really touched and decided, yeah. That is something what I would like to do. And also, as pathologist, you have a very good opportunity to do science research.
0: I've heard this from a number of people. and Of course, I'm not a doctor, but I've heard that that initial exposure to pathology, if it's made interesting, like, like the experience that you had, that makes you more likely to want to explore that field, whereas others you know, said so that maybe it, the presentation wasn't, wasn't that good or the person giving it didn't sound like they were interested in the field they were talking about. And I think that makes a, a big difference.
1: Yeah, I fully agree uh, that uh, very many people follow the area of medicine where the teaching was of good quality.
0: Was it just pathology, like once you had this experience, there was pathology and that was it, or did you... Uh, consider any other specialties as well
1: it was probably internal medicine and psychiatry which was also on the list but i somehow felt that internal medicine is a very large area and i finally realized that psychiatry is not field i would like to be during the course so it was all the time like that pathology is the best as a student, I also attended there, so I was exposed to pathology more than general students.
0: One of the things I've been trying to cover lately on the podcast is I've noticed that uh, many people in pathology have some kind of a creative uh, or artistic side to them, and you know, judging by your your Twitter page there's clearly an interest in photography and uh, you know gardening as well and like we talked about earlier the, the writing aspect too that's a that's a creative uh creative outlet so i'm curious how did these interests develop for you
1: actually photography and art like drawing and painting are part of my life from early childhood so i've always been interested in photography and drawing. So I think it's a very good uh, way to relax because when I am walking and photographing or drawing, uh, it's a way how to relax. And as you know, there is very many pathologists who are brilliant photographers as Said Hoda, Sayed Ali, Oh, yes. Brilliant artist. So I am just one in the row and definitely just on the back of the row. Uh, I have to laugh. Yeah. I'm not a gardener, but you know, it's COVID influence because now traveling is banned. So in five years ago, you would see photographs of architecture. Various historical buildings, churches, parks. But now when you are sort of stuck at home here in Finland, we are surrounded by nature. So you can see pictures of trees and flowers because they are here and I can access them. So I photograph them. So, you know, maybe in five years, you will then see again buildings, beautiful halls. Let's see and hope.
0: Yeah, let, let, let's hope so. Well, okay, the photography aspect. This is this is interesting to me. And you mentioned a few others that in pathology that are are interested in, and post photos as well. This is interesting because pathology, being you know, it's a, it's a visual field, and I think there's there's some kind of connection there because a lot of pathology is recognizing patterns.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that uh, we are in pathology because we love pictures. Once I remember, I was in the kindergarten with kids and there was another kid and I just told it, bye-bye, I'm leaving to work. And there was a question, what are you doing? And I told, okay, what I can tell as pathologist, yeah. And there is maybe four or five-year-old, a child and i thought i am looking at pictures and he looked at me and was very satisfied and in a way it was true because through microscopy there are really beautiful pictures yeah so yeah and i am enjoying looking at the cells in their colors shapes because i mean there is definitely beauty and art in pathology of course, it's sometimes uh, we know that this beautiful cell will kill the person, so it's there is visualized beauty, but it's not so beautiful for a patient, but of course also normal structures are beautiful, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. only pathological cells,
0: yeah. Absolutely. And that, you know, the different colors and the patterns and things like we talked about. Definitely. Now, do you think being interested in drawing and art from an early age, do you think once you got into pathology, do you think those skills helped you to get to where you are?
1: I think it can, can definitely help me because, you know, when I was studying in the 19s, there were, of course, uh, no possibility that you are getting the PowerPoint of the lecture. We were still handwriting all the notes and making drawings. And also our professor was drawing to us and we were drawing to our papers. So I think it was of use that I was good at drawing and I was able like, to draw what is on the table in the microscope that I can somehow put the same structures. I think it is definitely of benefit
0: do you use that the, the the drawing aspect when you're teaching uh, students now
1: i use but i w- i would tell before covid it was easy because i could draw but you know nowadays when we have this virtual teaching is uh, not so easy because of course there are some options like to draw in the computer but you know with pen it's definitely different than with the mouse so mm-hmm. i somehow i have to still find a way how to use drawing during those virtual teaching sessions
0: so you did your, your medical education still in the czech republic right yes okay so then when was it that or how and why was it that you decided you were going to move to
1: finland okay at the very very beginning there was four months Student exchange during my PhD studies, and I decided to go for a visit to a place which was very different from pathology, where I was on that time doing my PhD studying and also specialization at the same time. I went to a research group of Professor Sepo Tuala and this group was interested in gene therapy and vascular growth we have been studying various vascular growth factors as treatment for cardiovascular diseases and also i mean group is huge there is about 50 researchers so it was just one of the topics and i came there as a very young pathologist in training and I was really impressed and realized how I can also help with my knowledge of morphology. It was four months and I actually got invitation to become postdoc in the group after my graduation. So in one year, I came for two years and now it's 18 years ago. And I'm still here in Finland, but of course, life is going on and I have Finnish husband, I have Finnish family. So at the moment, I have totally different reasons to stay than there was at the very beginning. So here I am after <laughs> 18 years.
0: And nowadays, you're a uh, adjunct professor at Tampere University and University of Eastern Finland. So I'm curious then, after practicing pathology for a while how, how was it that you got involved in teaching
1: okay so i was still for several years in research like full-time researcher but then i realized that i have to finish my specialization so i still did some training and finally i graduated as a pathologist and i think i was about 10 years like practicing pathologist when i decided again to change. And now I am in academy, so I'm teaching uh, pre-graduate students. I'm also involved in postgraduate teaching. And I mean, it's everything is connected because with students, we are doing very many research projects. So they are involved in my research project. And it's really rewarding for me to work with young and smart people. I like this.
0: Now, are these all medical students that you're teaching or are they uh, in in other fields as well?
1: Okay, we are teaching uh, medical students and in our program, there are also uh, students of biotechnology and some students of uh, medical techniques. We have them in some courses. And I would say that It's quite hard for us as teachers because when you have medical students, then it's like narrow. You are training them like in the future, you will see our pathology report. So these terms are important for you because for some future scientists, they don't understand like how important is necrosis for medical students. So we have to always balance and then. When lecturing, you have to realize that you have there in a way also non-medical students. So it's a challenge for us because finally I think that it would be probably better that some of the courses are separate because there are different needs. But of course, due to resources, it's integrated. And how much
0: of your time would you say is is spent teaching as opposed to your uh, other other parts of your job
1: oh it depends every week and every day is different there are some weeks we have very many teaching then there are of course some weeks we have less teaching or even no teaching there are some hospital duties and then there is research so i think it's uh, you need a lot of uh, skills to make it all balanced you have to make a lot of planning because with research, I usually prefer to have some days when I can scope on some projects from the very morning till the late afternoon. And of course, you know, you can't teach for 10 hours because your voice will be totally dead after a few hours. So, and of course, with hospital routine, you never know when urgent renal or heart biopsy will come. So, then all of a sudden there is a phone call and you know that in the afternoon you have to go there. So, of course, if you are teaching, you just run after. If you plan to do research, you just postpone it. So, But I think it's typical for every medical doctor, even our laboratory staff, that even we plan nicely, if you are on a duty and doing some urgent biopsies, then your life, is changing within hours.
0: What was the effect of the COVID pandemic on the teaching methods in Finland? Because, you know, here in the US, when everything kind of shut down and, and you know, had to go virtual, I've heard that a lot of people had, you know, it was, it was difficult to immediately get used to virtual teaching and also virtual learning. So can you tell me about what was your experience with that?
1: Yeah, one day. You teach in person another day with Zoom. You have never heard before. That was right. the really reality. So, you know, okay, I install some Zoom and then I look like what that looks like. Luckily, I have two kids and spare computer at home. So I made session of Zoom, put PowerPoint and then my kids were listening. Can you hear my voice? Can you see the picture? Is there another picture? So I just practice with them. So, and the other day I give exercises to students just after one practicing. And yeah, we've been all of us all around the world just learning by doing because it was very short period of it. Of course, it was very tough because, you know, there was like limited time to change because it's different when you are in a class. And students are also with computers looking those digitalized slides, but you are there in person. They can easily show you. But when you are online, it's it's not so easy. You have to just attract them to be able to follow you for a long time. You have to activate them. This activation, like now answer to chat this question. You have to be all the time like, prepare that you will keep them interested and not fall asleep. It's not easy, and I wish we will move soon to personal teaching, but still at the moment we have only autopsies and laboratory visits in person. So all other teaching, lectures, seminars, microscopy sessions are via Teams or Zoom. So now I am even expert, not only on Zoom, but also Teams. You know, after more than one year, you are very familiar with these systems, so it's easier now. But still, I feel that uh, students are very thankful for whatever teaching is done differently than online. They are very thankful thankful for that and they are very happy when we meet in person even in mosques
0: do you think when all of this is over when whenever that's going to be that there will be a use for some aspects of virtual teaching and virtual learning even after the pandemic is over
1: i think that you know some of the teaching can be done Virtually, And there is definitely advantage that if you have expert in one country, then people from another country can follow his or her talk. I think that definitely there it's very good with all these postgraduate courses, meetings that you can have lecture from America and Europe and you just sit by your table. You do not need to travel this jet lag. And whatever, I think that especially in postgraduate training, we can benefit from the expertise of very many people or around the globe. So I think that there will be definitely some remnants in the future. But I'm not sure if for medical students, because still, even with lectures, I would prefer to do it in person because... For very many people, it's easier to ask in person that via Zoom. I actually, I learned that I always stay there and I offer my students that, okay, I am still here. So if you wish, you can stay and ask me later. And from time to time, there are still few students who just stay and they would like to ask something or even just chat. Because that's something what I offer also. These students, we have together research projects that when we have meeting in Zoom, we discuss our project and then I just ask them, so how is the life going? I think it's important because now we are really lacking our social lives. So to try to imitate our everyday social life also in these Zoom talks, it's important.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's it's important to have that kind of social connection, even if it's over the internet, and just to maybe check in with people and make sure they're doing okay kind of emotionally, because through all of this, there's been a lot of isolation. So yeah, I, I agree with that. That's, that's a very good point. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Dr. Ivana Kolova. We'll be right back. LabVine is designed to integrate into the daily routine of any laboratory stakeholder and support you and your team holistically. Here are some of the features of LabVine. You can complete a skills assessment to identify your gaps and needs and be directed to resources to build those much needed competencies. You can head over to Vinestream and listen to podcasts and webinars, including this podcast. If you have problems and need mentorship in your lab, but lack the in-house expertise, you can head over to the Conflab and connect with an expert That has the solution for you. And when you have a few extra minutes, check out Vine News to stay informed on the latest international trends in lab medicine. You can follow the link in the show notes to head over to LabVine and check out these features and more. Med has been designing and manufacturing high-quality scrubs since 1980. The prices are affordable, the shipping is very fast, and the scrubs have lots of pockets, which I really like. I actually have several sets of these myself. So check out Dress Ahmed by using the link in the show notes. You can sign up for their loyalty program for free and earn special offers and discounts. Now back to Dr. Ivana Kolova on the People of Pathology podcast. We actually, we actually talked uh, about a week ago before we recorded this, and you were telling me about some of the methods that you used for teaching. And now this was before COVID, of course. And one of the one of the things you mentioned, which I found very interesting, was something, I, th- I think you called it problem-based learning.
1: Yeah, our curriculum in Tampere is this PBL, yes. Yeah? So we have a whole curriculum as problem-based learning. So we don't have classical courses like you are used, this anatomy, histology, biochemistry, pathology, and then, of course, you have this microbiology. In Tampere, we have the first three and actually three and a half years are fully according to the topic. So we start with the course name Cells. And as pathologists, I am explaining all these mechanisms like hyperplasia, atrophy, dysplasia, necrosis. Then in the third grade, there is, a course, heart pain and breath distress. On that time, I teach cardiovascular and pulmonary pathology. So we are talking again about myocardial infarction. And then we can again talk about necrosis as it is a type of necrosis. Then we are talking about vascular diseases, And as an example, I have aortic pathology where I can show atherosclerosis, degeneration and vasculitis. And in pulmonary part, we have all pulmonary cancer, subtyping, predictive treatment and diagnostics methods. So they are just examples. In few weeks, I will be teaching in our ABC course, which is abdominal complaints. And then there will be a course on gastrointestinal pathology with the diseases of stomach, esophagus, small and large intestine and liver and pancreas. So it's a little bit different. And of course, we do not have so many lectures for students. We have a lot of seminars, and then we have tutoring. So every week, students meet their tutor who is medical teacher. So it can be professor or clinical lecturer, and there is a problem. It's usually clinical case, and student will get the background information, and they are just trying to solve the problem. They usually get some laboratory test results, some radiograms or some other imaging results. They usually ask me, do you have something to add to us? And then I can at a certain stage. And through this case, they will then in a few days study some part of the course. And in few days, we will meet again. And we will discuss this case again, like what they've studied and how they would solve it now. And then we have another case and in few days. So it's like every week there are two tutors sitting and they are connected with the course. So in ABC course, where I am also a tutor, we will have some cases of elevated liver values. Then there will be some abdominal pain in it young female, then there will be kid with abdominal pain. So this kind of typical cases they will face in their practice. And they usually, at the very beginning, in the first grade, they are studying mainly anatomy, histology, physiology. And then later on, there is more pathology and When they are becoming sort of older and older during the study, there is also lots of clinical part in this tutoring. It's very interesting also for the teacher, and I am very enjoying this tutoring. Now, of course, we are through teams, but in this course, we have to have our cameras on to see each other. And it's quite fun because some of the courses we have early in the morning and I met my future group and I told him, so don't worry, it's too early, but you are allowed to have your breakfast with you, but we will not be in our pajamas. So let's see, hopefully it will be so.
0: You know, I I, I like this method because it teaches you, at first it teaches you kind of principles of a way of thinking, and then you apply it to actual real a, a real or made up i guess a case to apply the 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 things that you learned is that kind of the, the what you're trying to do sort of teach them how to teach them how to think i guess is that the way to put it
1: yeah yeah it's, i mean they have to learn this critical thinking which they will need i mean it's like sort of preparation for them for the future yeah You know, I think that also in classical curriculum, there are these different seminars, which are like problem-based learning, at least in Kuopio, where I taught in past, it's the University of Eastern Finland. We had some seminars which were problem-based learning, but here in Tampere, everything is based. Of course, later during the clinics, it's not so rigorous. It's more like classical education, but from the very beginning is this problem-based learning and they can also, you know, they have also contacted patients at the very beginning. So they are meeting some patients already during their first grade, which is, I think, very motivating for the future medical doctors.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Okay. And something else you mentioned to me was, I, I think these are younger students bringing them into the lab to see pathology in practice. Can you can you tell me about that?
1: Oh, it's in our fourth grade. It's now going on. I had three groups this week and it's one and a half hour and there is a group of around 10-12 students. And we are like following what's happening when the specimen is coming to our laboratory. So I am explaining them from the very beginning in the future when they are sending the samples to us. So about fixation, how important is that it's properly fixed, when the sample should be sent fresh, then about referral to our sample, what are all the data that should be there, what are data I can get, what are data I can't, and then I have there a few specimens and I then usually show them one thyroid gland specimen and some cardiovascular specimens, and then I also let them to, they can make some curling of the top when we need these margins and then they are allowed to cut under the supervision. So then I describe them how important is to decide which part we will study and then we follow this cassette like what's happening, the processing. I briefly explain them what kind of it is. Then they can see how this tissue is embedded, cut it. Then I show them our staining machines and tell them something about special stains in immunohistochemistry and at the end we go to microscopy and I show them some slides. Of course, they are not the same case which as I was cutting at the beginning, but at least I have there always thyroid gland and aorta to show them.
0: Okay, I see. That sounds like a a great experience for them. Do you think that you know, having gone through this sort of program or this this experience, that any of those students, or or some of them, would be influenced to you know maybe go into the
1: pathology field. I hope so, you know. But uh, at least I hope they will know how to write referral to us, and they know that they will put the sample to formal, so that there is enough space when it will become larger. <laughs> So right. let's see, we have a very motivated young colleagues and some of them were our students.
0: Let's talk about cytopathology for a little bit here because you're the, the head of cytopathology at FimLab Laboratories. So let's go back to the beginning of that. How did you become interested in this uh, subspecialty?
1: I was cytologist from the very beginning of my career My mentor and colleague Aleš Ryška taught me cytology from the very first year when I was at pathology training because there was lack of cytopathologists and they decided that young people can be like sort of, we can decide that they will become interested and I really become interested. I love cytopathology because I think that uh, it's, very nice to see single cells because it's something what I'm interested. And there was also another person who later influenced me, Maria Ludvikova. We have very many research projects with her still. And here in Finland, there are those grand old ladies of Finnish cytopathology, Lena Krogerus and Pertu Toivonen, who definitely influenced me that i am still keen on cytopathology it's very close to my heart
0: you were involved with developing cervical cancer screening and then hpv screening in finland and i think you told me previously that this was the the first the first of its kind in finland as far as the hpv screening Mm -hmm. can you tell me about this
1: yeah i'm definitely not so old to be involved in the establishment of Finnish screening program because it was in the 60s. It was even before I was born. It's a long history, you know, gynecologist Sakari Timonen visited for one year Papa Papanikolaou laboratory in New York and when he came back to Finland, he started with the Finnish program. I actually met his son who was pathologist and I was honored to be on the board of our society with him. They are actually both honorary members of our society. So from the 60s, in Finland, there was a program using conventional pub smears. So each female who is 30 to 60 or 65 year old is invited by her community every fifth year for a pub smear. And when there are some changes, there is protocol of follow-up. So there was extreme decrease in the mortality and morbidity on cervical cancer. Nowadays we have very few cases. We have some 150 cases every year in 5.5 million population. But Despite this success, there is still a trend that we can do even better. And there were very many research projects on HPV in Helsinki area at the turn of the centuries. But in 2012 in Tampere, we started HPV screening program as a real life. So it was no research. It was real life when we started. We were first in Finland and I even think that we might be one of the first all around the globe and so we are still with conventional pop smears but we are screening with HPV and we have already some results because there are two rounds. so we can see that it's definitely successful and it's the way how it's going in the future. And here in Finland, we have also strong HPV research done by Professor Sirianen. They did tremendous work on HPV basic research, and this research is still continuing. For example, studies of HPV infection in families done in Turku University.
0: Then let's talk about the milan system for reporting salivary gland cytopathology now you were one of the co-authors on a paper about this system first can we kind of briefly go through what what is the milan system what is it what does it do
1: okay so you know cytopathology was reported by so-called pap classes as you know papa nicolau made a great job he invented mm-hmm. pap smear for the Prevention of cervical cancer. There is pub stain. There are pub classes. So huge amount of work and they played important role. But during the development of cytopathology, you realize that you use same classes for cervical smears, for brushes from biliary tract and for fine needle aspiration of head or neck mass. So you realize that as pathologists, we are not using same names for pulmonary and gastrointestinal tumors. We have different. So why not in cytopathology? So there was first the Bethesda system for cervical specimens, and then there was another Bethesda for thyroid glands, fine needle aspiration, and then there were some others, and Milan system is for reporting salivary gland cytopathology. You know, salivary gland tumors are quite rare, but there is a huge variety of them. They are very heterogeneous, so salivary gland needle aspiration is very challenging. And there was Diana Rossi and Bill Faking, who are mother and father of this Milan system, they did tremendous job and there was also very interested project at the very beginning of Milan system that there was podcast lectures in various languages. There is one in English, Italian, French, Japanese, mm-hmm. Chinese, and then I gave one in Finnish. So now the system is really internationally accepted as also both Bethesda system. Those terminologies are important to increase communication among pathologists and also between pathologists and clinicians. And they improve also quality assurance of our work, both in clinics and at pathology boards.
0: I was going to ask you about that path path cast in Finnish What kind of response did you get to that i mean why do, do you know why specifically they were trying to do this in different languages?
1: I think it was a great idea, and I hope that other system would do same because you know of course in science we are using English, but in routine we are using our native languages or languages of the countries where we work so It's important that these uh, terminologies are translated into uh, all the languages that both clinicians and pathologists are then familiar with the terminology. I think it's important job. And here in Finland, in our Finnish Society for Clinical Cytology, we are always together doing translation and writing a review article on each terminology which we would like. That is used. So we did on Paris system. At the moment, I work on effusions. We did in past both with Milan and Bethesda. It's important that this kind of work is done to expand the knowledge about the terminologies and help the practical use for the departments. Because there are some departments where it's one, two, three pathologists they don't have time to make their own translations and you know it's also important that then the terminology is same in the whole country so we are back in the area of languages i told you as a kid i was interested in languages so now i am again working with languages
0: it's interesting how it came back around like that uh, just out of curiosity, as far as languages, how many, I mean, obviously Czech and Finnish and English. Are there any others that you can speak?
1: Uh, I, I, I am fluent only in these three languages, but, uh, I have basics of some other languages, or at least, you know, some other Slavonic languages like Slovak and Russian. I can follow very well and Polish. And okay. I have some basics of, german and french but just basics
0: okay i wanted to kind of wrap up with your involvement in uh, professional societies because this seems like something that's very important to you i mean you're president of the finnish society for clinical cytology for the european federation of cytological societies you're the uh you're a committee co-chair for the association for European cardiovascular pathology or the secretary treasurer. And then of course, you're also the associate editor for actus cytologica and the, the cytopathology journals. And I'm curious, why is it or why was it important for you to get involved in these societies and, and these journals in this way?
1: I feel that networking is very important professionally because it at the beginning, you know, Every day we are facing some questions like, are you using this uh, antibody in this indication? When you are searching for lymph nodes in this resicate, are you using some so, sort of solutions for it? And it's very easy when through these international societies, you know the people. Later they are becoming even your friends. So it's easy just to send a WhatsApp message or whatever. Are you using this antibody? Can you send me your recipe? So, you know, it's it's like on the side that it's like you are at the society level, but it's helping you also in your everyday routine life. Definitely, it's one side. And then, of course, it's also improving your social life. You are really like becoming friends with those people who first you work on some terminology and then finally you realize that. You are sitting somewhere in a cafe and finally you are talking about the hobbies of your kids, not at all about terminology. And you realize that, yeah, we are friends at the moment. So with very many people. And of course, I think that this voluntary position should be even more valued in our societies. Like... On general, because it's very important that all these things are done, they are done like voluntarily, people do them in their own time, and then they are improving the healthcare systems and treatment diagnostics because all these terminologies and different guidelines, they are definitely improving our daily care diagnostics and quality assurance. So I think they should be valued.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Is this something that you explain to your students, the, the importance of getting involved in professional societies?
1: It's a good idea. I haven't been talking so much about it, but I think I I should talk maybe more. I, more I talk about it with our postgraduate students and, of course, some PhD students, they are very happy because then they are involved in some international projects. And, you know, now they realize how it is easy that, okay, let's have this kind of study. Okay, I can ask, we can have more cases because I have cooperation with those people. So it's practically important. I think that with pre-graduate students, of course, I am talking to them about terminologies in our cytology specimen course, then in cardiovascular course, this heart pain, I'm talking about ARTA guidelines, I was involved and usually on that time when I'm showing them this original paper, they notice that there is my name, so some of them notice that. So, but it's a good idea. I think that we can use it to show them how important it is and show them also these other aspects of it, yeah. Good idea.
0: Dr. Kolova, this has been really interesting. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of go through your career and talk about your teaching methods and and all these other things. This has been a lot of fun. So uh, Dr. Ivana Kolova, thank you very much. Great big thanks to Dr. Kolova. Now next week I'll be speaking with Dr. Michael Williams, who is a neuropathology fellow and the host of the Diversify in Path podcast. Here's a short preview and then I'll be back with some final thoughts on this episode you know there's there's art in in the pathology slides if you look at the microscopic slides mm-hmm. or even some gross images I mean a lot of people have made art out of that so it's interesting that that's kind of mm-hmm. where you started and, and now where you are yeah I mean it's, it's so it's so interesting because that that should that should have been one of the indications for me like you know, go to a very visual heavy field in terms of that like medicine and i'm sure we'll talk about it later in the podcast but you know i always thought about i always thought about medicine being where i was going to end up eventually um you know as younger and so even like studying and all, and all that i found that anything visual was so much more easier for me to grasp that i should you know when i was writing my personal statement for for residency i incorporated the comic aspect into it too for both surgery and for pathology but mostly pathology i experimented on it a bit more t- to say like how i've just been so developed and looking at things visually um that's like how i process information on much more faster for myself at least i really enjoyed this conversation with dr kolova it's always interesting to get a perspective from a different country and realize that things aren't that much different. Also the concept of problem-based learning, I found that very interesting as well. It seems like a more holistic or integrated approach, which maybe teaches students how to think rather than what to think. It was great to hear the passion in her voice when she was talking about cytopathology. I mean, she's obviously excited about the field. And there again, that's what you're going to find in pathology. We're all excited about the work that we're doing. As always, I'll have links in the show notes to everything we talked about today, uh, including Dr kolova's twitter which you definitely should follow just to follow her photography it looks like finland is a very beautiful country and i hope to visit there someday you can follow this show on twitter at people of path and i've started doing some things on instagram as well so that's also at people of path or you can connect with me on linkedin or just go to people of and all the links are there as i mentioned in the last episode this coming thursday i'll be on lab opex live with lona small and we'll be talking about how to make and maintain professional relationships. So that's going to be at 6.30 p.m. Central Time on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook, and we'll be promoting that on social media throughout the week. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others, and together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being, and you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.